Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a great message from one of our guest speakers. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. We are so honoured, Church, this morning to have Pastor Greg French with us. Travels the world of C3, uh, literally the world, uh, speaking to the heart and lives of all the C3 churches, the real men, and got a real heart for men, and uh, so honoured to have him here this morning. So how about we stand and rise and make some noise for Pastor Greg French to welcome him this morning. Come on. There he is. Awesome. Give us a hug. Thank you, my friend. Beautiful. Well, grab a seat and, uh, yeah, good morning, C3 Tugra. Good to see you as usual. I'm going to release the band. And uh, what we're going to do, um, in just a moment, I'm going to do a bit of an interview um, with uh, the mother of the house. Uh, but I'm going to actually ask you, Jules, if you wouldn't mind. Um, we're going to get all the men to stand up, all the dads here today. And I'd love you, for a woman to pray for the fathers. Instead of like, we can, I could do that, but I'd really love you. You're the mother of the house. This is you're the senior minister alongside Phil. You're both leading this church exceptionally well. So I'd love you just to pray for, as dad, as whether a father to be, a father or grandfather, come and pray for the men. And then after that, we're going to interview yourself and Chili, who's so excited about this. She didn't get any sleep last night because of this interview. Um, so why don't we come here and let's. All the dads of the house could just stand up today. If you're a father, you know, there's a few men of, you know, wanting to be a father there, Tim McGraw. Um, sorry, Tim, you're only round one, mate, only once around, you know, just continue went around one. Um, but we're going to pray, and I, I would love, just as we pray, just not to be sitting there looking on, but ladies, and maybe if you're, you're not a dad here, young men as well, is engage our hearts to pray for I believe sometimes that we can pray for everything else. And I love that today, Phil and, and Andrew, just about that. We're praying for our prime minister. We're praying for Phil, who's heading up our movement. But again, praying for fathers and for the church. Love that. Men sometimes go, I'm okay. No, no, you need prayer. You need to be prayed for. And I couldn't think of anyone better, Julie, than you to pray for us as men today. So thank you. Thank you, Laura. Gentlemen, if you wouldn't mind just putting your hands forward so in a receiving posture Father God I thank you that when you taught your disciples to pray you said to them pray like this our Father who art in heaven and Lord we know that everything rises and falls on fathers first of all with Father God in heaven and then on earth he's appointed fathers over nations, over countries, over cities, and over families, over communities. And Father, today, we ask that your Father's heart would be made real to these fathers, that only in knowing you, Father, would they be released as sons and therefore be positioned as true fathers in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask for their hearts to be open in this season, this season where you are raising true fathers across the earth, in the spirit realm and in the natural realm. 
We thank you, Father, their hearts will be open to the authority that you want them to walk in, to the kindness and goodness that you want them to walk in, to the Father's heart that you want them to express in their community, to their families and all around them. Father, I ask a special anointing to the healing of their Father's hearts. Lord, where they haven't had the example of fathers that have gone before them and they're just blindly going at this, going, I don't even know how to do this because no one taught me, but I want to do this well. And I ask you, Father, that you would come and you would heal their broken hearts from their fatherlessness. And even where their fathers have made mistakes that have wounded them, I ask that you would heal the wounded hearts of our men so that, God, they would stand in strength, in dignity, Lord, with pure hearts that would pour out love upon the women and upon the children. Thank you that they would be divine protectors and they would stand in the position that God originally gave them to protect the women and to protect the children. I thank you, Father, that today you would give them an anointing of manhood, Hallelujah. I thank you that muscles that have never been there before in the spirit realm would grow on them. And that, Lord, you would give them the confidence to know that they are crafted and made in the very image of God. Therefore, they are like the Father. And, Father, I thank you that they would get the revelation that the more time they spend with you, Father, the more they will know how to be fathers as they position themselves as sons. We thank you, Lord, a special blessing and special honor, and we give the men in our house dignity. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, amen. Well, let's put our hands together and thank you, Pastor Julie, and thank you, gentlemen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask, we're going to move this uh, podium if we could, and, and I'm going to, we're going to grab these chairs, and we're going to do a little bit of an interview up here with the gals. Really like to um, hear what they've got to say. Now, you, you may, if, you, if you're a visitor here, uh, Julie, she is the senior minister, uh, her and Phil are senior ministers of this church, and they are a team, very much a team. And uh, pretty much have been leading this church now for how long have you been leading? 23 years. 23 years. Wow. Yep. Very good. Um, but what I thought this morning years, is yeah. I'd, I'd like to not just talk about your ministry journey, but your life journey. And also, Jilly, obviously, well, a daughter, the lead daughter, may I say, the lead daughter. Number one. Um, Oh, yes, you have Jilly, Jesse, Jamie, and Gemma. Why all the J's? I'm always curious about that. Four J's. Well, you know, you can open their mail. Yes. So if it says J Oldfield, I get to check up on every. All of them. Oh, hello. What a smart when woman. You've got girls. You smart need a- woman. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's right there. <laughs> but then. You know, mobile phones come and erect it for me. So, That's right. Anyway. So um, how long have you been married now? Uh, how long have we married? <laughs> Is it 34 years or 35 this year? 
35 this year. 35 in December. Who's counting though? Come on. Let's put our hands together. Well done, guys. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, how long have you actually known Phil? Obviously, you didn't just know him and get married that day. Well, pretty close, yeah. Okay, uh, so 35 in three days. Thir- 36 years I've known Phil. 36. But we went to the same primary school and the same high school, grew up in the same neighbourhood, but didn't know each other. Yeah. He walked past my house every day. You think he would have noticed? <laughs> oh, no. Were you a blind? Bit slow, a bit slow. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. And okay, Jilly, what about you? Now, you've been married, I believe. I've checked now. I'm just checking the facts with the wife. Um, 12 years, according to Andrew. 12 years. Yep. And he, he, you, you sort of knew each other when you were in school. Church or in school, sorry? In church. In church. He only okay, went church. to my school for a day, so no. Okay. Four well, days. Four days. Oh, well, there you we go. won't go there. And uh, so you've been married 12 years, known each other quite some time. Yep. Um, and you have four children as well. Yep. Now, I've also just checked, and he does know their names, by the way, which is great. Um, Joey, Charlie, Paris, and Florence. Yep. I love the Paris and Florence. You got really into the Europe thing at the end, didn't you? Yeah. It's quite I a... haven't been, but... I well, like the I mean, names. There's good reasons for two right there. So four kids, which is great, and sort of ten, eight, six, four, three, coming four, something like that. Five, six. Five, okay, close. Well done, Andrew, close. Um, so that's a little bit about their, their history. So four children, love that, three girls and one boy, which is wonderful. So what I wanted to do is first um, ask you, we'll start with you, Jilly. Um, what first attracted you to Andrew got your attention besides his good looks and godlike body. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's obvious, you know, like oh anyway. And um, what manly qualities, coming back to the real manly, serious stuff, right, what right. manly qualities and character traits did you see in him go, wow, yeah, I, mm. I've, he's caught my attention. What drew or caught that moment where you go, yeah, I quite like this guy. All right. Besides the godlike <laughs> body, you know, obviously. And... Besides, yeah. Um, well, I loved that Andrew was an adventurer. That's what really drew me to him. I just, you know, being in church together, there was four years between us. So if, when you're that age, it seems like so much, you know, such a big age gap. But I used to watch him and he used to just go on surfing trips all the time and he was just always coming back brown with his hair braided. And I'm like, man, he lives the life. Godlike body. There you are. Yeah. There it is. Uh I know. It sort of weaves into it. Um, I used to laugh when um, Ty McDonald would rouse on him because... um, Andrew, you stupid man, you know, because he was just always pushing the boundaries and pushing probably poor tyres buttons all the time. But that's him. He's a risk taker. He's just, you know, he's not offended by people. He loves everybody, but he's like, he's so confident to be him and to be himself. And I knew that if I married him, that my life was never going to be boring, that I was just going to have like adventure and fun and it's just going to be great. I like that. And it and, has been. And I, I like actually like hearing it like that godlike body, obviously. Yeah, it, it's quite definitely some years part ago. of it. Yeah. More mortal these days, I think. More <laughs> mortal by the appearance of where you currently are in life. But that's okay. Um, Julie, what about you? What was the thing that really caught your attention with Phil when you saw Phil? What was the, wow, I really, I really like that about him, what I see him doing, how he carries himself, etc. Well, I had recently had an encounter with Jesus 
uh, a few months before. And, you, you know, Jesus was so beautiful. I mean, I saw his face. Well, Phil happened to walk into my mum's house and he had this long, surfy hair, little goatee beard, no shoes, brown as anything, and a hot body, you have to say that. And, and as he walked towards me, I thought, oh, my gosh, you're the closest thing to Jesus I've ever seen. I'm going to marry you. And that's all, that was just the thought that went through my mind. Yeah. So yours was more out of a God moment, more a so God than his moment. God-like appearance. And then, um, yeah, and then my mum said to me, because, you know, I'd had some really bad experiences, and my mum said to me, Julie, look into his eyes. Have you looked into his eyes and seen what's in there? And we were having breakfast this morning because he was staying at my house, at my mum's house, and I looked into his eyes. I actually saw Jesus. I actually saw Jesus in his eyes. Wow. And that's what attracted me to him. And all we talked about was God. Like we stayed up. A lot of people say when they fall in love, they stay up till two in the morning kissing and stuff. Well, we stayed up till two in the morning talking about God. <laughs> and we though. still do. We stayed up last night late talking about God. That's yeah. wonderful. So th- it was Jesus in him. I saw Jesus in his eyes. Oh, that's wonderful. How yeah. are you feeling, And he was Andrew? safe. Yeah. How's Andrew feeling after hearing that, eh? <laughs> You're feeling more mortal now, aren't you? I, I know. The God likeness is a has gone great let's move right along that's great i love that okay let jelly came back to you um what have you seen and love in how andrew um has loved basically the kids and the children what have you loved about seeing him in the way as as a father in the way he has handled and managed and loved the children um andrew is a very intentional dad he um he that's a great word can i just get that Mm. there fathering is not something just comes naturally to everyone same with mothering Mm. but to me to get the results you're looking for it does have to be intentional Mm. great great boy like when you come home from work at the end of the day I'm sure the first thing you want to do is just sit and chill out but he purposely says come on kids we're going for a walk and he takes them on this walk around and it's just the little things and it's not a big chunk of time but to them that is their most favorite part of the day they know they can look towards that Paris wrote in her card this morning I love going for long walks with daddy you know, she knows that she's got that. So I, I see that. I see that he's intentional about it, that he stops even more so, more than me. He stops everything and he'll come down to their level and you'll go, what is it? And you'll speak to them like that. He videotapes them all the time. He's always in the moment. And I love that. I love, yeah. It means a lot to them. That's great. And look, I, you know, I, I'm saying two dads here today, all dads to be in the future. This is what comes from a healthy relationship. Um, but also, too, some of the, the keys aren't just necessarily things in which I have seen. It's what we are. And you obviously you live in an environment, a home in which um, you are experiencing great fatherly experiences for your children, too. So, which is for a mother, one thing that you, you cannot ask for anything greater than that, really, that mm. your husband will love your children as much as you love them. There was just one more thing. Um, I love the way that he's grooming our children to one day be an incredible men and women of God because he always tells the girls that you are loved and that you're beautiful and I'm so proud of you. He always affirms them. And then with my son, he's always training him saying, how does a man treat a woman? That's how you need to treat the girls in your home. So I love that he's grooming them. Great. The Excellent. Excellent. Oh, Andrew, you, you, you've come up. You've come up from mortality back into God-likeness. I love that. I love that. Okay, Jules, what about you? Yeah, 
For, for me, it was like I, I was, it was really important to me to have a safe man because, uh, you know, my experience of men and fathers had not been a safe thing. And especially having daughters, I wanted them to feel like they were safe, like they had a safe daddy that would look after them and protect them. And I think that the girls always felt that. They always felt dad was there, even though he would take them on adventures that I would just go, <gasps> you know, he would take them bushwalking and he would do like crazy stuff with them and always let them live on the edge and didn't have fear, where I had lots of fear because of my upbringing. And he just he just killed that fear in them. He just take them out. But they always felt safe because dad was there. He was he was a safe place. He was also, uh, same as Andrew, he, he would spend time with them, you know. He would get home from work, obviously tired, back in the day when we weren't ministering. And, um, and he would say, you know, Jules, just cook dinner. I'll just take the kids down the back. And he would just play with them out the back, always be filming them. Like, if you notice, he's always filming everything. We used to have this big camcorder, great big thing. And they'd be jumping on the trampoline and be feeling, oh, it's so wonderful, it's so wonderful. And I'd be watching out the window and one would crash off the (laughs) trampoline and crying and he'd film it. Oh, that's all right, you'll be fine. You know, I love the back door. (laughs) I love the pool one. Remember we're in the pool at Dar's house and he's filming it and Jamie's only like, I don't know, one and a half. Little, little. little. And he's filming us and and then suddenly you see the camera go, oh, and he reaches down. She's just on the bottom of the Paul picks her up. All right, continues <laughs> filming. Continue. <laughs> Great. So it's all. Right it's, I've got a record of it all, and um, it was fantastic. And you know, we'd be we'd be taking the kids to the beach. You know, who, who knows when you take four kids to the beach? You know, it's like you, you just packed up with stuff. And he, we would go, you know, to beaches that you'd have to walk through the bush to get to and down lots of stairs. And I'd have the boogie boards on me and I'd have a kid on my hip and three kids around me and all the bags and everything. He's got his camcorder. It's a beautiful day today. And I'm going to smash that thing, you know. So. But, um, you know, one day I'm going to smash it. But I'm glad now because... But there is evidence of that as well, you know, of him filming me going, put that camera down. It's like, I don't have a good reputation on film. He does. Um, but he was just, and the other thing was that I think that he was, um, he always like would pray with them. He would read Bible stories to them. He'd always talk to them because we were both first generation Christians. So it was, it was carving out a whole new way for us. It was carving out a whole new thing that our kids are going to be in this environment. We had worship music on all the time. He was always singing around the house. He was, he was just a great, great dad. Well, that, that's sort of, dad. I guess that goes, you might as well hold it, Jules, while you're there. It's like, how have your children responded, you know, to their, the fathering that they've experienced over the years? And I guess I wouldn't mind you answering that, Jilly. Obviously, yeah. you're the recipient thereof and of some of Phil's interesting habits. Um, but... Obviously, they're like you start to see qualities that come out of mum and dad. We know that, um, and start to develop because you, you know, you have that experience. Like, where does our kids get that from? You know, it's and unfortunately it comes from some great uncle or auntie. Uh, sometimes when you look back and go, oh no, not that. But from our fathering, I think children will adopt things. But whatever they experience in their in their most recent um, life experiences is what they adopt into their. Uh, position of life, more so than letting the genetics take over. So what fatherly qualities, you know, that Andrew and and Phil has put in there, but from Phil, Jill, um, have you seen 
um, that really impacted your life, that really go, Dad did this and this has so changed my life. It's one quality that has revolutionized my life. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, there's so many, but obviously I work with mum and dad at the moment and it's been such an honour to do that and I guess I've noticed that um, and I think maybe they're surprised as well seeing what's coming out of me and it's not necessarily out of words or you know he's sat down and gone now you need to but I've just watched and I've watched him my whole life and I think for me it's the tenacious spirit it's the um, no matter what obstacle comes there's always a way there's always a way, you know, like whether it's through prayer or whether it's through just a different angle, you've always got to stand your ground and fight for it. And I think that that's what I've held um, so dearly with watching dad, especially through the whole church experience and everything, just watching him through every trial that's come, just stand and go, there's got to be another way. And he's done that. And I hope that I can now do that as well. Yeah. And they always say that the, the nurturing years, the, you know, when the child is young, you know, from a newborn up to around about nine or ten, is so important for the nurturing experience for sons and daughters. But then in their adolescence, the most um, important part is the fatherly experience becomes more obvious and evident. Where a lot of men think, well, I've done my thing. I helped change the diapers, etc. I've done all that thing. You're a teenager. Do your own thing. No, uh, in the psychological world, they say that their teen adolescent years are the most important years for a father to have more input at that stage of life than any other yeah, well, stage. When, when the girl, we, had, we had a thing that Phil and I discussed when they were little. And when they were turning, they're coming up to 13 years of age or 12, um, he would take each one of the girls on a date. And they would be the date of their choice. They could choose where they, if they want to go out for dinner or if they want to go and sit on the beach or what they wanted to do. He would buy them a new dress. He'd buy them a red rose and he would buy them a ring. And then he would take them out to dinner and he would sit there and have dinner with them and spoil them in their new dress. He would give them the red rose. And then he would take the ring out and say, you belong to daddy until you get married. And if I don't want any man to ever treat you any less than this. If any man ever treats you any less than this, you say no to them. So he did that with all the girls at, you know, 12 turning 13. Philip Oldfield, amazing. So the rest of us men right now are feeling quite secondhand and not quite up there, but uh, that's great. Uh, Finish with this and... um, Julie, can I just probably ask you, then I'll finish with this question. Is that what advice would you say? And I think even that bit of advice then would be great. But just, um, just one bit of advice for all the fathers here today. I think that the one bit of advice I'd give fathers today, because being a father today is very different to when Phil was a father when the kids were little. It's a very different world we live in. It's a very busy world. It's a very technological world. And the thing I would say to fathers right now is exactly what Julie said, what Andrew does, be present. Just be present because kids know, you know, like this phone thing, like put it down. Put it down. Turn the TV off. Be present. They, they, they need you. They reckon that the, the most important time for a child is three minutes after it wakes up in the morning Three minutes after they go to sleep, before they go to sleep at night, and three minutes after they get home from school. 
three minutes. If you can, if you can give those quality three-minute times, you don't need quantity, but quality. Where you actually, as Julie said, like Andrew is brilliant at this, he, you get down on the child's level and just give them your undivided attention for small periods of time, but quality periods of time. So there's nothing else you look at, there's nothing else on your mind. Put your phone away, put it on silent, for goodness sake, you're not that important. And neither is all those people in cyberspace more important than your kids. And be there for them and speak into their lives and listen. You know, one, one thing that, you know, raising girls, Phil came to me one day and said, you know, it's crazy. They come to me and they're just going, blah, 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 and I don't know what to do. And I said to him, okay, I'm going to teach you something. With girls, you just need to be present. You need to look into their eyes and listen and don't check out. Don't go into your nothing box. Be there. They know if you're there. And let them talk. Do not interrupt. Don't try and fix them. Don't do the fix it father thing. Let them talk. And I tell you, they'll talk themselves around in a circle. They'll fix their own problems. They'll come back and say, you're amazing, Dad. And you know what? He's done that. He's done that with the girls. And he said, it works. So just be present. Listen. Be involved. Really be there. And let them know that you're part of their world. Not anything else is more important in the world than them. Even church. Even church. Let's put our hands together for the girls. Thank you, ladies, for your valuable input and insights as well. So... I'll, I'll grab the podium and thank you, guys. I think, um, Julie, just what you're saying there, which I, I really love that, is that, and it's a known um, fact today, is that, unfortunately, uh, the mobile phone, which was something to assist us now, has become uh, a relationship more than it has an assistance to helping us. It's more of a relationship we build. And uh, most psychologists today would say is that Men are the uh, primary and chief offenders in that by demonstrating it again, is that they are home, they're on their phone, where I think phones, where car keys are, you don't drive your car around the house, right? Yeah. Well, not If you do, well, I don't know what your house looks like. But um, the, the reality is that you come home, you leave your, your keys where you know it should be, you should leave your phone there, and that's where it should be. And if you create those sort of habits in the home, um, the children will follow those habits irrespective of the pressure they may feel outside the home, but inside the home, that's where phones should stay. So phone is something we need to control. The second thing, and so you might be saying, well, this is church. Shouldn't we be talking about, we are talking about godly principles. And because the whole Christian life is a relationship. And without those, I'm sorry, you only have a religion. Because again, we, we confess, we stand, we believe in a relationship we have established. And the second most important thing, I, I believe, outside of Christ in our, in our own life and in our own relationship um, is that, as Julia said, as it says in the Bible too, it says, how can a man of God um, lead a church if he's unable to lead his own home? And that's what I would say with Phil and Julie, you have great pastors because I think they have been exceptional mums and dads. And as an example of life, I would esteem them before you to say, that's the quality of people that can lead churches well, purely on the basis of what they've done in the home. All the other stuff's great, but because they stand here because their home um, is a, the highest level and demonstration of what Christ-likeness and church life is. So let's put our hands together for these guys. Then. Well done.
There's so many things I want to say, but I'm going to respect that it is Father's Day, so I'm not going to bore you and take up all your time. And plus, I'm going to go home and see my family, uh, which I've received all my little texts this morning, which has been very nice and had the conversations. Um, but the, the second part then, I just want to bring to your attention as well, is that, you know, the, 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 the dinner table is something which has been lost. It's value. Um, and I do believe, uh, you know, for fathers, if you want to push a point home, is that kids, we have dinner. And obviously the phones are on the table with the keys, so it's, it's not a problem. It's not even at the table. And we sit down together and we talk. We eat and we talk. We just don't eat and scoff. We've done our time at the table. We sit. And this is where I believe mums are naturally great at it, but fathers have to be more intentional of thinking. So when we sit down here, what will we talk about whilst we are having dinner together? And that is the part of a union. Jesus himself did this. He gathered. They just didn't take communion. They sat together and ate. And most of the discipling took place around a meal. And the church should do that. And this is what I love. This church does it so well as, again, is that, you know, you get to grab a coffee and have a meal with the men last night. We had a great meal together. Food helps us digest the things of God as much as the nourishment we need. So to me, the power of that connection together is not you're in, you're out. That's, to me, that moment of gathering, having a coffee together and a conversation is one of the healthiest things that we can do. So moving right along. Um, I just wanted to, again, go through just... I guess one of the things which have caught my attention in more recent years in which I was going to talk to the men last night, but we, we, had a, we didn't have time. We had so many other good things to talk about. But being Father's Day, the importance and the values of, of fathers in, in their life. And in Jewish culture, um, young boys would go through a process of learning trained by their fathers, not left to the educational system or left to mum, but their, a father's role in the, the Jewish household was like of the highest importance and the value of it. And that for, for years in the growing up there, the father would be spending quality times, quality and quantity. You just can't do it just for a short period of time. But both of those time frames, the period of time and the quality of in, uh, intentionality and time attached would be in training, in developing, in, in grooming uh, sons and daughters, by the way, not just sons, but sons and daughters. There was a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah. And, you know, <laughs> the fortunate part of the, the female soul bar can actually, for a man, can actually, where they go these days, um, in times of challenge, they go off to the bar and have a couple of drinks by themselves. And bat mitzvah can be a point of reference which is inappropriate for women. So, sorry, it's Jewish traditional terminology. But because I was pulled up on that once when someone said, well, why, why couldn't they've got a better name like bar? That's the problem we have with men and, and women aren't treated and, and spoken of well and are referred in, inappropriately. I go, don't ask me, go and talk to the Jewish people um, about this. But they had a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah. And a bar mitzvah was where a, a young boy would, would have spent years in being groomed intentionally by the father of, of input into his life is where they, he would ultimately go through a, a ritual of saying that you're no longer a boy, but you're a man. And what would transpire, it's around the age of 12 or 13. And I found this fascinating because, again, the bar mitzvah means son of commandment. Bat mitzvah means daughter of commandment. And, and it was like they were to follow through 
not just to get through this initiation or rite of passage moment, but basically something to take into the future. And it started off with, I love this, is that at the age of 12 or 13, just listen to this, 12 or 13, a young boy now needed to take full moral responsibility for their actions. 12 or 13, everything you did was now your responsibility. Uh, If you had done something to someone, you would come under the full judicial um, uh, position of correction if needed at the age of 12 or 13. Fully responsible. You could go to jail, not to a juvenile, oh, they're a juvenile. Unfortunately, these young boys were groomed, and if they'd done something inappropriate, they were fully responsible. He's just a boy. No, he's not. He's a man. 12 or 13. Think about our culture. Think about our culture today and the behavior. Oh, he's only 17. He's just 18. I go, hello, something terribly wrong there. He was fully responsible because of his actions. Second thing. He was eligible to own property, go to the bank, ask for a loan. Just think of a 12 or 13. Bank manager, come along for a loan. Our kids, number one, they wouldn't have $2 to put together, usually at the age of 12 or 13. These young boys had been groomed and were instructed how to manage finance well. They were able to go and buy property at the age of 12 or 13. Just think about our 12 and 13. Just think, men, about when you were 12 or 13, what you were like. I wouldn't have given me a loan at 12 or 13, I can assure you. The third thing that came in, be legally married according to Jewish law. What? Married? Goodness me, incredible. Could be. They would read the Torah in public, would have confidence, would have confidence to speak to a large group of Men who would be, in some ways, critiquing their ability and skill. Incredible. They would participate, lead services. Andrew, 12-year-old up here. Now, let's pray, church. Come on, let's raise our hand. Just think of this, pulling it back by the ages. They were groomed intentionally on how to be effective in living as a man. To be married, to take responsibility for a wife, to own property, to be responsible because of their actions. Incredible. They must take on a charity or community service. It's not, oh, I'm doing this. I'm getting involved in feeding, being involved in C3 Cares. I'm going to go along and serve the food and help out. 12 and 13. Just think what we've got today in our society. And they must follow the, the 613 laws of the Torah. And I looked at that and, and the bat mitzvah for the girls as well is very similar is that they were groomed in, in not just looking after home, but taking responsibility for action and life. Same. What happened to our culture? Jewish culture or not, uh, the reality is that I think the Jewish culture, which is the original, if you think about it, the original birthplace of how to do life well, basically, our relationship out of Christ and how Jesus himself came and instructed his disciples how to do life. And so often we've watered down even in our Christianity, even in our social expression today, the importance and the value of mum and dad and the home life, which should be grooming that our children will have confidence, will be able, will know what the future, not be guessing and wondering what I'm doing. 
young boys and young girls at the age of 12 and 13. 13 would know what they wanted to do. A lot of them were already groomed because I want to be like dad. Why? Because they work with that. Jesus was groomed by Joseph working in, as a carpenter, working in the, in the carpentry shop. He was there. He loved it. Why? Because he spent time with his dad. And when you spend time with someone you love, you love what they do. And that's why a tradition traveled through the generations, generation, hundreds of years. I'm from my family has been carpenters for hundreds of years. Why? Because they spent time with dad when they were growing up in those formative years. Incredible. There are some incredible things which came out of that. What's the Western approach to a bar mitzvah? The Western bar mitzvah sort of goes something like this. You're 18 or 21 now, 12 or 13. No, no, no. They, they're, not, they're not smart enough. They're not sensible enough. They're not, not really, they're not old enough to take on any responsibility. But when they're 18, 18 21, what's our instruction to them? What's a father's instruction to his son or maybe his daughter, but to his son? Party hard. Get blind. A fatherly speech may come up, and, which is purely there to tear down and poke fun at their children. Oh, this is our bar mitzvah. How effective is that? No, how destructive it is. Why does Western society have more problems than other more socially together societies that aren't Christian, by the way, but have not lost sight of the importance of fatherly and motherly input into the house, into their own home? Fathers need to be fathers of faith, but fathers who express the values of their faith. And unfortunately today, we can be fathers who appear to be Christ-like on Sunday. But when it turns up on Monday, they return back to the old Western social ways of acceptance, which is not acceptable at all. All I'm doing today is saying to fathers, hey, dads, let's lead the way. Let's be intentional. I love that word. Let's be intentional again in fathering our children. But my children are all adults. They're still your children. I've got a, a son who's going to be 43 on the 7th of September. Another a daughter who's 36 and a son 33. They're still my kids. I'm still their father. And I've got grandchildren and it's all wonderful now. But I'm still dad. And my responsibility hasn't finished because they're an adult or they're 18 or 20. No, no, no. I'm a father and shall be a father to my children all the days of my life. My influence is still most important in their life until the day I depart this planet, is that I am looking to be a father to them, not to be overbearing or, no, no, to be a voice using wisdom now, because they are adults, but just using a different tact of guidance, instruction, love, care, concern, and belief. There was a study which was carried out, which our sons and daughters, you might be asking, when are you going to get to the Bible? I am talking about the Bible. This is what it's all about. There was a survey carried out with sons and daughters, and they, they asked, again, it was, the age range was between about 7 and 17, and they asked sons and daughters what they wanted from their dad. And son's first thing was, I just, I just need my dad to believe in me and trust me, believe in me and trust me. Great, great words there, to believe in, to actually feel the, the power of belief. How can you do it? You don't know if you believed in when your father says nothing. To be silent, that's what I've, I've heard already here by Phil and by Andrew, 
they're spending time, not just by being present, but having input whilst being present. Being present is very important, but it's the verbalization of what you want to put into your children. And can I tell you, being a point, you should be your children's greatest fan, greatest fan. Ah, you know, he gets too much praise. You can never get too much praise. You need more praise. We all, irrespective of your age, by the way. I need to be, I need you, Dad, to believe in me and trust me. I love that word trust. Hmm. I tried it once, didn't work. Unfortunately, we live in a society where trust, in our mind, is constantly broken. Can I tell you, trust is a decision to keep trusting, even though trust has been broken time and time and time and time again. You have to keep getting up and trust and trust and trust again and trust. I don't trust in anyone. I don't trust. I only trust God. I go, I don't think you can trust God if you haven't or unable to trust another person. Sorry. Unfortunately, here, a father should be saying, son, didn't work out last time, but I'm going to trust you again. You know, because those... Sons and daughters sometimes don't quite give you the truth. Has anyone experienced that occasionally? Only me. Okay, never mind. I'm sure, you know, those things when you've said it's like, well, it doesn't mean I ignore it. We talk about what there has been a breach of trust or communication. It doesn't mean I'm not going to trust my sons and my daughters. But son says, I I want you to believe me, Dad. That's good, but please trust me. And why? Because most fathers have trusted a couple of times. I'll never trust you again. You're just a little liar. You're a liar. And I go, you may have, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to keep correcting. Weren't you given a, a moment of correction or opportunity again by someone greater than you, by Jesus himself? Of all the dumb stuff you did, but he keeps coming back. You know what? I'm going to trust you again. The word you said, you're going to follow me. You're going to follow me. I know you've said this 30 times, but I, I'm going to trust you again. Same principle. This is church. This is God. This is our relationship with Jesus. This is fathering. The second thing, I love this. Second thing the uh, son said is, don't withdraw from me, even though I'm withdrawing from you. I love this one. Teenage boys, fathers and mothers. Mom, mums, there seems to be more dialogue. But something happens in the male brain when they hit about 12 or 13. Remember those conversations? Who's got children who are in teens and now maybe a little bit older? A few fathers will understand what I'm saying here. Those who are, have yet to experience this. You have these sort of experience of conversations where you used to have dialogue when they were 7, 8, 9, 10. And then suddenly when 12 or 13 happens, how was your day? Good. Okay, okay. That was the, how you day one. So, you know, what, what do you got planned for the weekend? You got any things? You, you got football on? I think so. Uh, got any idea what the future holds? No. Nope. This is dialogue which goes on for how long? My, my youngest son, um, it still continues, he's 34, no. <laughs> Joking. We have good conversations. But, you know, for years, it does, it's not a week, it's like a decade. When are we going to talk? And you and I, I can remember this. After about three or four years of pushing, I thought, flip, why bother? I had this thought, if you don't want to, I'm not going to until you engage. And I felt at that moment, the Lord said, don't you dare do that. If you're, if you're holding to the first command, believe in, trusting, 
you better follow through on this one. Just because they don't respond doesn't mean you stop your input. Ah, who else does something similar to that? Jesus. You'll find every opportunity to keep talking to you, speaking to your world, finding a moment, even though you turn your back and walk away from him. He will find people, places, moments to talk to you because he never gives up on you. He keeps trusting in you and he keeps on going. You aren't talking to me, but I'm going to be here and I'm going to keep on asking you questions till the day you die. Nothing changes. Third thing that sons wanted was this. Give me someone to look up to. Show me the man I should be. Love that. John 5 verse 19. This is Jesus him saying, himself saying this. You might be saying, thank the Lord, there's a scripture in there. I know I'm getting around to a few more. Don't worry. John 5 verse 19. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Love that. So love that. Give me someone to look up to. I said to the men last night, is your life worth following? It's a good question to ask yourself, isn't it? Oh, no. Well, if it's not, change it. Because most men I've talked about, oh, I could do things better. Good. Do things better. Be intentional. Well, but, but no, no, no further discussion in my mind. If you're not happy with it, change it. Or are you going to actually leave today unchanged? It is what it is. Let bygones be bygone. That's a sad person. That's a sad father. That's a sad day. I'm here to lovingly encourage you, but also challenge you. What about daughters? What did daughters say from this survey? I need you to affirm me. I love this one. I need you to affirm me. Tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me I'm beautiful. I'm encouraging my daughter. I remember, and I I shared this a couple of years ago with the boys here at a men's event we had, but... I remember I was in Perth and I was at this conference and I'd spoken about, you know, again, just the power of affirmation and believing in people, you know, for all people, you know, and men especially. And uh, I said, you know, we need to be speaking the words of, you know, life into our sons of how well they're doing and, and so proud of you and, and our daughters, you are so beautiful. Anyway, at the end of the meeting, this gentleman came out to me and said, Greg, he said, oh, that was, you know, really, that's really challenging and encouraging. He said, but what about if your daughter's not beautiful? Pause. You know, I was like, what? What about if she's not beautiful? Yeah, well, she's not. She's smart. She's so smart. She's so clever. I said, okay. Well, you know, actually right then, the hand, which is usually for the laying of hands and the blessing, the handshake, felt like, I, you just need a good wallop in the face. I'll just go back to my old gang days, you know, just give you a, a whooping. And that male thought, I can't believe that you would even say that. He's got his sons there as well, listening to what his father is saying about his sisters. He's a Christian man, apparently, you know, he was. But I go, you're something terribly amiss here. I said, well, why isn't she beautiful? He said, well, she's not. He said, I, I want to tell her the truth. I don't want to lie to her. You do need a whooping. But in that moment, in that that moment, I'm just there and simply going, I really can't believe what I'm hearing. And I said, let's just go back. When when your daughter was born and she was placing your hands, you went, oh, ugly little thing, poor kid. 
When did you decide that she was ugly? I'm pretty sure most fathers would go, wow, my little girl, she's good. Kids, baby's gorgeous. A father should never change his statement to his daughter, whether they're one day old, 10 years old, 20 years old, 70 years old. It should always be, you are beautiful. And that is the word that women in affirmation is looking for. Not like, oh, she's, you know. And when men remove the word and the terms like, beautiful from their conversation about their daughters their wives it's a very sad day because women again just tell me oh, i'm not honey still love you and love is not something extra it's because i'm still saying to you today that you are so beautiful to me and you are the most beautiful woman on the planet and and you are the most beautiful woman to our children the word beauty is something that is should never be removed from our conversation to our daughters The second thing was simply this, set the standard and be the standard. Love mum so I know what love looks like. Very basic stuff. I'm sorry, this is basic Christianity here. I know if you want me to get get into Deuteronomy and go through the laws of the commandment, I could if you like, but I'd go totally inappropriate because it's about relationship. Father's Day is about relationship. Conclude with this. I have one minute. I could say many things. You can read this verse of Scripture yourself, but Matthew 1, verses 18 through to 25, talks of a gentleman by the name of Joseph. Concluding, we as fathers need to pick up, I believe, the opportunity to find moments where we can always be encouraging our sons and our daughters as fathers. And generally speaking, fathers do, to the best of their ability, a good job. I would like to think Christian fathers do a better job. Why? Because I would like to think that they are definitely modeling and number one, learning from their father in heaven. But I always had this thought, why did God, the father, when Jesus was conceived in Mary, why did the father choose Joseph? Oh, any, meeny, miny, mo, you'll do today. I don't think so. What qualities was the father looking in a person to be an earthly father to his son? Big responsibility. Ever thought about that before? No, you should. Let me very quickly in the next 46 seconds I didn't have. Joseph was a righteous man. You can read it. As I said, you can go home and do your own reading. But Jesus was a righteous man. Why the father looked at Joseph was number one, that he was a godly man who exhibited godly behavior. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of word. He was a man who understood the values of all the things we're talking about, about what a bar mitzvah would offer, about having input, being generous, giving back into society, being responsible, all of those areas. He saw him and said, this man is a righteous man. And what does righteous mean? Righteous means having right standing with someone greater than yourself. He had right standing in his relationship with Yahweh, the God of heaven. The second thing that the father said, Joseph, I will choose him, was this. Joseph did not want to disgrace his wife publicly, knowing the story. Most of you will know that the Holy Spirit, she conceives Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through Joseph, but 
through that moment, conceives, she becomes pregnant. She comes and says that to Joe, hey, Joe, I've got some interesting information to you. I'm pregnant. Where would you go? What about if you were Joseph right now? How would you respond? What? They're engaged. What about if you're engaged to your, your wife, your spouse, and she says, honey, I've got some really interesting news. I'm pregnant. How would you respond? Most men here, not well. See, we read scripture sometimes and think these people are special. Joseph would have responded like, what the? Give it to me again? You, to who? Oh, the Holy Spirit. God. You've been a little spiritual recently. This is really pushing the boundaries. Joseph didn't know. He would have responded like, unbelievable. But it's his actions in his inability to understand at this stage. He made a decision to quietly dismiss her. Basically, not continue on with the relationship because she felt he was compassionate and forgiving. Does it sound like someone who stepped into our life at some stage, who looked at all our indiscretions and showed incredible compassion and also the hand of forgiveness always? The father chose Joseph because in his inability to understand, and wow, what a wild story, to still show compassion and forgiveness in his inability to understand. What about you as a father? Are you a a father of the word and prayer? Are you a father who demonstrates and shows compassion and forgiveness? Very quickly, very quickly. Third thing that comes out of Joseph's life. I love this too. Joseph believed, believed Mary at her word. Hard to swallow. But I trust you. Oh, there it is again. Choosing to trust what is communicated in an unbelievable situation. The father chose Joseph because he was a righteous man. He chose Joseph because he was a compassionate and forgiving man. He chose Joseph simply because he was a man who would trust his wife-to-be. Joseph has a dream. He doesn't have a visitation from an angel. He has a dream. It's a dream. It could be just a dream trying to, you know, you have a dream trying to rationalize some things sometimes in your brain when things happen. He has a dream. And basically, the dreams, an angel comes and said, the child that is within Mary is from the Holy Spirit from God himself, from a dream, not from a visitation, from a dream. And he believed God. You see, Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph was a compassionate, forgiving man. Joseph was a man who trusted the word of someone he loved. Joseph was a man who believed the possibility in impossible situations. And then it finally says that The father chose Joseph because Joseph would do one thing else. Even though there was a census, Roman census, to actually return to your hometown to go back to Bethlehem. Joseph demonstrated the highest level of protection. He didn't want, by all appearance, because other people wouldn't understand. 
He wanted to protect his wife and protect his child, that this child would not be referred to as another term. Illegitimate. He wanted to protect his family. The father saw the protective heart of a father towards his wife and to it in an incredible, still very hard to understand moment. But all these qualities came out in this man. Why did the father choose this man? All of these reasons. He was protective. And finally, that he would, by faith, believe everything that he had heard. He would be a man of faith. Okay, that's a pretty good example of what a father and a husband should be. A righteous man. Someone who actually pushes in in prayer and word. He, he lives, he demonstrates. His children watches him in prayer. Hears his word. Hears the word of God. I love that about Phil and how Phil has demonstrated such a high quality of expression of his righteousness in relationship. His children were observing. Your kids are always listening. Your children are always listening. A baby, oh, they don't hear anything. They're listening. They can listen. They may not understand, but they'll feel the words in which are spoken. The father chose Joseph because he was a righteous man. He was a forgiving and compassionate man. He was a man who would be protective. He would be a man that would trust. But he would be a man of faith it's Father's Day today there's many qualities that our children are looking for us in fathers and I'm not here to speak down to fathers I'm here to help fathers step up by a choice your voice your actions your life is what a woman needs in a relationship of marriage what our children need from the relationship in which we have, which we heard from the, the ladies before. Great words. There's so much gold here this morning simply on the basis of the interview that we heard. But if we as fathers step up to the mark, good things begin to happen. Great things change in our life. But we actually will not be a first generation that only lasts for one generation. It'll be a generation of fatherly input which creates great generations of future men and women of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Fathers, embrace the moment. And I'm going to go back to the very first point. You are a great father, but it is by choice that you are a great father. Amen. Why don't we close our eyes? Father, you chose a man because you saw the qualities within the man. You saw a righteous man, you saw a forgiving man, a compassionate man. You saw the qualities you were looking for. And I want to ask every single person here this morning. The father was looking for a man, was looking for a man like Joseph for his son. But the father this morning here on Father's Day is looking for his sons and daughters. Because ultimately his expression and love is the greatest thing any person, any male or any female on the planet today can actually find. So if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life here today, I would love you to do that simply by raising your hand, not to me, but to him, to your Father in heaven, 
who gave his son that we would have life and would find the fullness of that life and that relationship. I don't know where you are in that relationship. But let me tell you, your Father in heaven knows exactly where you are in that relationship with him. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you haven't, for whatever reason, you've stepped away from that relationship, I would love you to consider for in just a moment to create a moment of reconnection with your Father in heaven by simply raising your hand to him and saying, Father, I want to reestablish that relationship through the name and the person of Jesus Christ. So right now, with every eye closed, if that is you, I want you to raise your hand and raise your hand simply to get connected with him again the right way. If that is you here this morning, thank you, sir. That's great. Anybody else here this morning? To reconnect, to reestablish a living, loving relationship with a father who has given his son and given us the greatest opportunity in this life. It's just one lady here, I believe, this morning, just wondering whether you should raise your hand. Always your decision. But he would simply say to you, I would love you to be reestablished in that relationship today. Thank you very much, madam. And just for that gentleman, and that lady, I know you're in the house. I know you're a part of this house. But I want you just to look at me, both of you to look at me. I just need to say he saw that hand to reconnect correctly. He saw your hand to reconnect correctly. And we're all going to stand here as a church. Can we stand, church? But I would love us all to pray this prayer again. That as we all leave, we leave with an incredible confidence of knowing that we have righteousness in relationship with the living, loving God here today. Can everybody repeat these words after me? Lord Jesus, I give you my life so that I may be known by you. And today, Lord, you are my Father. Jesus is my Lord. I am forgiven, I am saved, and I am made one with you. In Jesus' name. And one final concluding thought and prayer. If you are a father here today, or maybe you're not, maybe you're not married yet, but you've heard the words of like, when I get married, I'm going to be a great dad. you've heard things in which we from the ladies from what I have spoken about about what boys and sons and daughters were looking for from a father something resonate within you maybe you go you know what maybe I need to pick up some of the qualities of Joseph whatever it may be if you one day will be a father you'll well, you are a father today and you want to make a difference and you're going to bring change to your family, your home, and their future. Raise your hand right now as a man, as a father in this place. Father, I raise my hand with these men. Because, Lord, we as fathers, or fathers-to-be in the future, 
Lord, we can learn so much from one another, but we can learn so much from you. But by raising our hands here this morning, we are intentionally raising our hands, making a decision and making a declaration that I shall adjust my world to impact my family, my marriage, my children in a positive, powerful, affirming way. And that by leaving this building today, I intentionally take charge of my home, my family, my marriage, and I intentionally begin to practice that which I have heard here this morning. And in Jesus' mighty name, I shall do it. And every single man in this place that agrees with that prayer, say with me, amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Phil. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Let's